constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day, and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. The first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And today we're blessed uh, to have... um, a leader, a coach, and um, a former dean even with us, Kate Ebner. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dave. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's great great to have you. And and um, there are many things that, that you're doing that we need to, to talk about, but we like to get to know our, our guests early in the show. And so, Kate, you're a coach, a leader, an educator of leaders. And back in the day, you even served as a dean at Middlebury College. But let's go back in the time machine what were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Oh, what a great question. Um, you know, I have to say that I'm the, I come from a long line of educators. My grandmother was, um, she managed to hold off my grandfather for about five years back in the days when if you wanted to be a teacher, you had to stop once you got married. And she preferred to teach than get married. So she actually, <laughs> um, you know, prioritized being a teacher, and she then went on to have four children, three of the four teachers, including my mother, and I'm one of five children, and three of the five are teachers, you know, and I'm, I'm one of the ones who's not exactly, although I guess these days I have become one too. So it's, it's, I think it's in my blood, um, and I think in particular I'd have to credit uh, my mother and her family for um, the value that they place on education as um, the, the doorway, the threshold that you can cross cross over into becoming whoever you want to be. You know, I think I such a clear message in my family, Dave, that um, education was the most important investment you could make in yourself. And I think that I I knew I wouldn't be a teacher. My mother said, "Do we want? I want you to think of doing something else." But I never have really strayed away from being a committed educator. I was going to say that's not exact. You're not exactly a black sheep. You're more of a gray sheep. I am. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and a beautiful story. And and also on the show we were very interested in um, unleashing experience as the center of 21st education, where people are encouraged either on their either encouraged themselves or encouraged by others or by experiences they have to. Uh, have the courage to do something that they might not otherwise do, and I'm I'm wondering what experiences or individuals in your life helped help you go your own way. You know, I've had I've been so fortunate to have had people who've inspired me or mentored me along the mm. way, and I you know I talk to a lot of people who say 
I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a mentor. And I don't know why I have had mentors as I have, but I will say that um, when I was a college student and I was an undergraduate at Middlebury College in Vermont, um, the man who was the first ever director of residential life, his name was Frank Kelly, he um, had his office in my freshman dorm, and he got to know every single one of us. And over the years, he... um, he made a point of knowing who I was as a young person, and he invited me to stay the year after I graduated and help him build the first ever postgraduate residential program at the college. And I I did it because I respected him so much, and I knew I would learn from him. And and um, some years later, he invited me once again to come back and apply to take his position when he was retiring. So I think I was 25, and he was 68, but. Mm. I applied and was fortunately given the opportunity um, to step into his shoes and was sort of his apprentice again for another year, and then he continued to mentor me on. But, you know, he he was a huge influence in my life, and I think someone who taught me, one of the things he taught me was, you know, Kate, it's important to know the rules so that you know which ones to bend and which Mm -hmm. ones to break and which ones to hold. And I think what he was really saying is, when it comes to working with human beings, um, we need to break, exercise compassion and also good judgment and find the balance between the two. And I have many great stories of him, but I would say he's probably the person who has influenced me most, especially during during the beginning of my career. Yeah, I'm hearing it and hearing it in your voice. And I, I'm um, what. And so you shared a piece of what was so powerful about um, your interaction with him. But you know, what else was it about? Um, sounds like there were moments where you you changed course and did things um, to continue to be in his presence. What was it ab- about him? If you, yeah. you know, he he was um, well. He had a he was an Irishman from South Boston, Southie. He called it, mm-hmm. and he. Yeah. Had a wonderful sense of humor. He he was, people loved him, and everybody you know he he made friends with, you know the kind of um, the uh, first generation college students from South Boston, the football players. He made yep. friends with the, um, the kids from rural Vermont. You know he was he was in charge of the international student experience. You know he he just reached so many people just by being himself and I think the word authentic is one we all throw around as, as leadership coaches but he was truly authentic and, and he was he was a rare adult who um, treated young adults like real people you know with with a real enjoyment of us and who we were at that age and at that stage and you know he was um, I remember sitting in his office uh, Dave and he used to you know, you you go in and sit down. Of course, he had kept his office in the dorm for the reason that he wanted to be part of our world, not up in some tower someplace. Sure. And, we, and people would go in and sit on his couch, and you'd tell him what was on your mind. And after a little while, he'd say, you know, I remember somebody a couple years ago in a situation like yours. And then he'd tell, tell you something helpful. And it wasn't until I graduated from college that I realized that there may not have actually been those other people all those other years. <laughs> he just had a wonderful sure. way of um, of bringing things. To, you know, we, we again in coaching we call it meet your meet your client where they are. Right? He, right. He's just wonderful at making at helping without making it be about him or his advice. You know, so many things that that he did for me. 
Well, and you know that the point you just made about uh, helping being, you know, a problem, it, it, because it can be about the person giving the advice, and that seems, it seems like it, it's at the center of of the difficulty in higher education change, in a yeah. way that's uh, pretty pretty profound. Yeah. Wow, that that's a one such a such a great. Um, um, story inside. We've actually. I've, I have a question here about what did your well and and this um, and you also were as you you were talking about the comfort and the way of treating young people with respect and in in a whole new engineer we talk about that the fundamentals of unleashing are this uh, this deep trust that. You trust the person to find their own way and to be there and present. You know, the coaches use the word presence a lot, but be present to them and and so forth. And that that trust either can come from within. It's actually interesting. I, I love this portion of the show when people share these stories because there's so many different ways of unleashing, and some can come from very negative situations in which you react to it and step up, and they can also come from these positive and caring situations like you. You related. It's so interesting, but somewhere you've got to trust your. It's about trusting, learning to trust yourself, and that's. That's right. Seems like a yeah. Seems like there's a mismatch in what we do in higher education. Comment. I think I think that's a, a great point, and I, I think that. Um, sometimes we we need to be able to find a friend in the system, you mm. know, the college, the university. It's powerful, and when people have roles to play and handbooks to enforce and, you know, grades they have to achieve. And so like, there's a lot of pressure in the system and a lot of rules and a lot of conditions that have been set up for very good reasons to create um, a safe uh, learning environment. But you need to be able to find a friend in the system, and I think that that's something that I think of Frank and his way of operating, and I just think he just did such a beautiful job of... Uh, befriending us and enjoying us and I- empowering us through his um, wholehearted support and enthusiasm. And, you know, I'll tell you one last little story there about sure. him. And this is years later I had left and had gone into be- into management consulting, among other things, and had become a consultant. And before I applied for, for his role at the back of the college, he he'd called me up and said, you know, he said, the thing that you're going to be great at is he said it's not what you're able to do; it's what you're you, what you're able to support others so that they mm. can do. He said your gift is what you can help others do. And I remember at the time being a little bit disappointed, actually, because I'm sure I wanted to be famous and <laughs> and you know known for my own uh, abilities. But but I understood intuitively and immediately what he was saying, which was that I had always been somebody who was a good listener and who really saw. Uh, the good in people and the potential in people. And he was really supporting me in choosing a path back to your idea of Unleashed that was really about helping other people be great. And I, I think he was the first coach I ever met before I ever knew there was such a thing. And I think that when I first learned about the field of coaching, I I knew instantly that finally this thing that Frank had described actually had a professional path. Yeah, and and actually along along your journey, and wh- when when did you uh, when did you discover form coaching formally? Well, it was 
the year was 2001, and mm. I had left Middlebury College where I had led a big change effort and had been for a decade. And I was a little heartbroken, actually, at leaving because I absolutely loved what I was doing there. But I had a really young family, and I was um, needing a job that wasn't 24-7 and was sure. a primary earner in my family. And so I took a position that was offered to me in Washington, D.C. for a strategy consulting firm, and I was... Um, a little bit heart sick still because it wasn't, it was, you know, the, the business of strategy consulting was really about profit and business success, not about mission and education, which I love. So I was trying to figure out what to do with myself, and I was, I happened to pick up a Fortune magazine that had an article on the cover about this new field called coaching, and this beautiful blonde woman was on her houseboat on the cover of the magazine, and I <laughs> read this whole article, and of course she coached from the houseboat, which sounded, sounded great, but I instantly knew that this was my path. I just The minute I read the article, I knew it, and I, I decided hmm. to hire the woman on the cover of the magazine to coach me um, because I felt, even though I didn't have a lot of means at the time for such a thing, I felt like if I'm really going to do this, I should hire the best, and I guess she must be because here she is on the cover of this magazine. And so she coached me, and it was um, so incredibly valuable to me at a, during a really important professional transition I then hired a life coach after that to see what the difference was. And then after that, I applied to Georgetown's leadership coaching program. That was how it happened. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a great story. And, <laughs> and, so, and so the path, um, the path since then, um, and I'm not sure that we're doing it chronologically, and that's not important, but um, you founded um, your own firm, the, the Nebo Company, as a leadership consultancy, and what's all what's that about? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting story to tell because you're right. Um, there is a chronology. Um, I, I stayed with the strategy consulting firm from 2000 to 2008. I actually founded the Nebo Company in 2004, and mm. thanks to the generosity of the strategy consulting firm, I was able to two days a week for four years. I built, started building the Nebo Company. And in 2008, I went full-time with Nebo. And, you know, what I saw was that there was a great need um, in organizational life for leadership coaching, that leadership can be a very lonely and isolating position, and that we needed coaches who actually had um, had experiences leading. It didn't, to me, it, it was important at the time. The field was still relatively new, and I thought that the HR background and the organization development background was really helpful for coaches, but I also felt that um, we could use coaches who'd actually, um, like me, had stepped into a range of experiences and learned a lot in a hands-on way before becoming a coach. So my intent with the Nebo Company was to build a, a leadership consultancy that could provide leadership coaching and um, and other kinds of support to leaders and executive teams across industries. Um, and our, our, our mantra is make your vision real. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Middlebury College, I had led the development and implementation of a big vision, and I had learned the power of vision work. And so, uh, so make your vision real is something that Nebo offers. We, do, we work with leaders and groups and communities and organizations to articulate the future that they would love to have and then become capable of it. So I think that's what Nebo is all about. And then um, your connection to, you remain connected to uh, 
to Georgetown, and that's how we met in connection mm-hmm. with my own training as a coach um, in cohort 30, I guess, uh, back in 2010. And, mm-hmm. um, and then in 2012, you were the founding, the founding director of what's now called the Institute for Transformational Leadership. So yeah. what is at, at Georgetown, what, what yeah. is ITL? Well, ITL, um, ITL, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, is um, an institute absolutely dedicated to um, educating communities of leaders who are working for a more peaceful and harmonious future. So we are um, an institute that currently is offering four certificate programs, the leadership coaching program that you and I both attended, uh, now a uh, a special certificate for people who want to learn to become transformational leaders. So not a coaching program, but a leadership program for leaders. Yep. And we also teach a certificate in facilitation, uh, something that people uh, have few opportunities to learn how to do well. We have a phenomenal certificate in facilitation. And recently we've added a certificate in health coaching for people who want to learn how to coach in the context of helping people with their health and well-being. So we have four certificates, and since 2000, when our leadership coaching program was first created um, by Chris Wall, uh, we've graduated about 1,600 coaches from that program. We're, we're in our 50th cohort in the, in the leadership coaching part of ITL. Um, what I want to say about, I, about the Institute is that um, this is a, um, yes, it's an educational Institute where people come for highly experiential learning about leadership and coaching. And it's also a really amazing community. And so when you come and go to one of our programs, you become part of this community and you become connected with others who've gone through. Um, And so it's um, right now we're really looking at some of the really tough and challenging issues of the year 2017 and beyond, and we're helping prepare people to meet those challenges. Yeah. And, and I've I felt the beauty of of that connection and and that um, deep network in a way that's helped change my life. And so I'm I'm mm-hmm. grateful for Georgetown and ITL's existence. Why don't Why don't we take a little bit of a break and and afterwards come back and talk a little bit more about leadership ch- change, transformation, all these these uh, words that we use around that sometimes people use in many different ways. Sounds great. So this is uh, Big Beacon. Um, Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Kate Ebner, and stay with us in the next segment, and we're going to talk a little bit more about transformation, uh, leadership, and change. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website 
www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform transform your educational institution. And you can ask the guest questions or make comments on uh, Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And we're back with Kate Ebner, um, founder of uh, Nebo Company and director of the Institute for Transformational Leadership. And Kate, we were we were talking about some of the programs that. Um, ITL offers and and also this you know, our show is about higher ed and not that long ago, ago ITL formed a partnership with Arizona State to establish the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership and and uh, can you tell us a little bit about that program? Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that. Yes, um, Georgetown University and Arizona State University are quite different from each other. You know, as you know. Georgetown is a private Jesuit, um, prestigious uh, university, uh, relatively small, compared to Arizona State, which is a big public um, university based in uh, Phoenix, in Tempe, actually, Arizona. And the two presidents, um, President DeJoya of Georgetown and President Dr. Crow of Arizona State, um, got talking and conceptualized an academy to help prepare the future university presidents um, for the kind, kind of leadership that they would need to bring as we look into the future of higher ed. And so that, the result of that collaboration was um, the creation of the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership, and we just call it A-I-H-E-L, I-H-E-L. <laughs> but um, that, that program, directed by Jeff Salingo, who for many years was the editor of the Chronicle of Higher Education, and he's written many books about the sure. future of higher ed. He's a journalist. Jeff um, invited the Institute for Transformational Leadership, um, and namely me and, and, a, and a team of us representing the Institute, to help create this academy. And so um, the academy's uh, offered um, once a year. It's a program that meets four times for three days each time, so a total of 12 days over the course of about eight months. So one one module or one meeting every two months sure. for three days. And we actually meet partly in Georgetown and partly in Arizona. So we actually, in, in the, when the weather's bad in Washington, we head to Arizona for a couple of our sessions. Um, what we're looking at in the program is is what is the future of higher education um, is most definitely one of the disrupted industries having to yeah. think differently about its future, about how education happens, about the impact of technology, for example, on education, on teaching and learning, um, thinking about how people uh, afford 
higher education, the kinds of financial models that support um, access and, and retention, um, and, and how we actually can transform higher education to meet the evolving needs of the world we're living in today. And so those are sort of the broad, this context, we'll call it 21st century higher education, what, what's really, what, what are the trends and issues, um, is the backdrop for the program. And then within the program, we are taking a cohort, usually it's about 30 people um, representing their universities, um, usually nominated by someone from their university to attend. Um, yep. and, and we're actually working with them over the eight months on what does it mean to be an innovative leader in this context, and we're actually using design thinking and we're bringing leadership coaching to each participant, and we're bringing yep. a curriculum around leadership development that's really designed to teach them uh, the things we never learned in, in college or even in graduate school about leadership. So it's a wonderful program. It's, um, it's a truly uh, unique program, and uh, maybe your listeners might be interested if they are deans or associate provosts, assistant provosts um, of universities and colleges. They might sure. be really great candidates for this. That sounds like a great program, and I was reviewing it on on the website. And you know, you just uh, use the phrase "the things that we um, we don't learn." What are I guess uh, there's a lot that we don't learn about leadership and organizations um, in our formal school training. What is it? Um, and 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 maybe well, it, the question is either a general one or it's it's a one tied to this program. But what what are that's a big that's a big question yeah but what are some yeah. of the things that are what are the missing what I've called the missing basics in another context of that that people people need to know you know I, I think that um, one thing that I see that happens in higher education broadly speaking in generality is that um, there's such a premium placed on brilliance you know intellectual mm. strength yeah. and what the world of consulting would call thought leadership, right? So the creation of knowledge um, and the tenure process and the public, yep. the urge public. It's as if the people who we think of, who we look up to, are um, are leading with their minds in the in the domain of knowledge. And what what often happens in university settings is that really, really, really smart people are appointed to positions for which they have little experience. Um, they may have been thought leaders, but they haven't led people or process yeah. before, and they may not understand the system that they're in and how to be effective at influencing uh, within that system. You know, so we 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 think about um, what, what I see in, in in with higher education leaders is first of all really quick studies <laughs> when it comes sure. to learning this stuff but haven't usually thought too much about the quality of their relationships, mm. um, the quality of their communication with others, um, what it means to be visionary, you know, and I think in higher education is a real requirement, especially at the highest levels for visionary leadership. Um, and also, what does, it mean, what does it mean to innovate? And does it need to be a radical disruption of everything that already came before, or can it be incremental? And you know what are the choices that you have about that? And I guess I guess the most fundamental thing, Dave, really is um, how do you lead as you? 
and connect with yeah. your own uh, unique story and your own way of being in, in, in a way that's relevant and meaningful for the people around you who want to be inspired by you. Yeah, I, you know, I... I really like the things that you just said, and I was actually I was thinking back to the first segment when you were talking about Frank. There's a if you put it in say polarity management terms, there's sort of um, this kind of expert thought leader. So there's a polarity between expert and this person who's just incredibly skilled at relationship is mm-hmm. sort of the inter and intra. Mm-hmm. Even and you there was also an intrapersonal self and. Uh, piece of that uh, about knowing yourself and 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 leading as you. So there's this kind of one on one or or just one piece, and then the, then there's this then this other piece that's about organizations and kind of systems thinking and and um, yeah. What are yeah? What are organizations about? And what and you you mentioned process. So there's this complexity on top of yeah. what is already complex about work. Um, working in relationship with people. Comment. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. And, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the academy is story, you know. Mm, if we yeah. think of the, a leader as a, a storyteller, you know, how, how effective are you at telling people the story of what's going on with, with your part of the institution or with the institution as a whole? How, how effective are you at... Um, connecting with people using story. You know, that's definitely one of the pieces that we pick up in the academy Um, and certainly in our coaching programs and and leadership programs at Georgetown. It's really understanding um, how the way we tell our story affects what happens next and how to see that and understand that. Yeah. Telling your story, reframing your story, even and then even, Mm -hmm. you know, examining the assertions and assessments in your story to... Mm -hmm. Rejigger things so that it it serves it serves you better. Yeah. So we've you know it's a uh, continuing theme on the show. A few weeks ago, we had a um, a narrative psychologist on talking about this the view of modern personality as having these three levels. The top of which is is narrative, and um, so we've got that working at the individual level, and then you also have the narrative of of a culture that. Kind of drives all the the uh, the intentional assumptions and and implicit assumptions of the culture too. It's just story is sort of the starting place of of, of change in, in much of this work. It is, and you know, and and we could even we could even back it up a little bit more, yep. Dave, and just talk about self awareness, yep. right? And so, you know, we become aware of the story that we're telling, and 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 we become aware of the story we have. As a university or as a college, we become aware of the story we have as a leader about ourselves and about the situation. But the critical idea here is aware, and I, I think that yeah. at the at the bottom or sort of at the foundational level for everything that we think about when it comes to leadership development, it's increasing self, one's self awareness so that one can better understand the choices that you have and the way that you are an actor influencing what happens next. And I think. Yeah. All the work we do begins with uh, an attention to self-awareness. And that's, again, that's something that, you know, I started out by saying things we didn't learn in school. Um, We might have learned to be self-aware, and some of us are more so than others, but I I often think that um, 
we're often self-conscious without being self-aware. And, and so yeah. learning the difference and learning how to, how to increase your awareness so that you can better understand the effect that you're having in the world. Now, I think it's so great you called that out. And I remember, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but I remember my first day at Georgetown and I, then the instructors saying, what do you notice? And mm-hmm. I remember being pissed off about that question. Yeah, it's uh, like, what, what do you mean? What do I notice? I came here to get some skills, and you're asking me what to notice. And then, of course, a year or two later, I realized that that was the central, the central skill of of change is noticing and awareness, just as you called it out. Exactly. You know, it's 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 where we start, right? Yeah. And, and when we when we're good at noticing what's happening with others and with ourselves we can make those course corrections and, and then we can handle really complex things because we're yeah. not blindly going forward. We actually have the awareness to adjust as we go and be effective as we go. Yeah. When I work with faculty, change agents in the trenches, I, I use the acronym NLQ plus S squared, the noticing, listening, questioning, plus speech acts and story as the shorthand yeah. for the, the missing the missing basics or that's you do, let's do that and then we can talk about culture and and or, organizational process but the the uh, the core mm-hmm. and I hate the term soft skills because it's mm-hmm. denigrating to them they're so important and right. they're uh, not that easy to do no and and um, and they're actually they're actually pretty crisp these days I mean if you think about where the speech act stuff comes from pretty rigorous philosophy of language. A lot of what we're finding out about mindfulness is backed up by hardcore MRI studies. Um, it's soft skills. Ain't that soft anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. You know, and I, I think that as we, um, as we talk about this, I mean, one thing that we see in higher education leadership that we, we, we engage with in the Academy is, um, an ambivalence about leading, right? So for many faculty mm. members, their passion is their academic um, calling, you know, the work that they're doing yeah. in their discipline. And so the idea of leading is sort of like the other path that they they might be called to and they might even be pretty good at. But there's this idea that somehow they should get back to what they love, which is the classroom or the research. And I think one of the big bridges we're trying to cross in higher ed is to really help uh, universities and colleges uh, help their faculty understand that um, the fulfilling, rewarding, ultra-challenging path of leadership is a worthwhile one. And and I think that, um, you know, we talk a lot and have have written a little bit about um, overcoming ambivalence, you know, becoming wholehearted leaders in higher education versus somewhat reluctant leaders, you know, looking back toward the classroom or the research lab and sort of wishing they were there. You know, I think that you can you can do both, but I think we need wholehearted leaders in higher ed. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you used that term, too, and it uh, kind of points at Brene Brown's work on wholeheartedness, and, and it seems to me that, that a lot of the story of academic leadership is a story that is... Um, may be rooted um, in, in, in some cases in uh, imposter syndrome, that if I was really good, I'd, I'd be at the top of my field research-wise, and this, this other path is uh, it, this ambivalence you talk about um, 
is taken reluctantly or with guilt. Uh, people concerned about whether they aspire to, for control and power. Um, so there's there are all kinds of uh, interesting ways in which um, people resist uh, the call to what to what is still Lead. called administration. Mm-hmm. I know, and and um, and from a peer culture perspective. Right, you might feel the call and look around and not see too many others who do. Right, so there's yeah. a little again back to the leader can be lonely. Like it's really about deciding that you want to step up and that you're willing to do it. And there is no, I always have found that there's no more complex place to lead than a college or university because in so many ways it's a microcosm of the world. Every issue in the world exists on a college campus, and when you're the leader whether you're on the academic side or the student life side or both, you're, you're going to meet up with all of the complexities of life, and therefore it's one of the most wonderful and challenging proving grounds and, and, uh, for, for leadership I think there is, and some of our most inspiring leaders do come from academic settings. Well, and you know, the, the loneliness of universities isn't just at that level, though. Being, a, being an academic... Is uh, it's uh, it's fairly competitive and uh, it's fairly unforgiving if you don't meet the the um, the norms of research productivity in your field uh, at many at, mm-hmm. at many if not most universities and um, and you're in with a group of people who have chosen the path because they wanted to be the the smartest guy or gal uh, in the room and um, it's not particularly uh, I'm generalizing here um, but I experience at uh, two major public universities and now going around the world and working with people um, at universities around the world is pretty much the same it's pretty uh, pretty tough even for faculty that who are not who are not uh, leaders it seems like uh, and if and if we want to develop leaders out of these lone wolves it seems like we've got a Kind of a doubly hard problem compared to other other institutions that actually value, say, team leadership. Comment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think you're right. I mean, we see we see this paradigm of 21st century leadership really requires a complex set of skills um, from leaders everywhere, including in universities and colleges. And um, you've got to be a systems thinker. You've got to be able to understand. Yeah. Um, how one piece affects the next about you, you need to have a vision of the future even if it's um, just the foreseeable future you know but you've, you've got to understand what's happening in the world as well as what's happening on your campus as well as what's happening in yourself yeah. and be able to work at many levels of leadership and as I say it I'm sounding kind of scary actually to me <laughs> and what I'm hoping people who are listening are, are hearing is a, actually a call to engage with it because you know David White the poet says you yeah. know in, in order to enter a kingdom you have to learn the language and I think when we begin to commit to learning the language of leadership and how to lead within an institution we already know or know a lot about it just can be phenomenal impact. Yeah, why don't we stop there and take a bit of a break, and and uh, maybe after the break, let's let's kind of turn to the future, both of um, 
uh, leadership writ large as well as leadership in educational circles. How about that? Sounds great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Kate Nebner, and we're going to talk about the future in the next segment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's upcoming seminar, a webinar. Join us Wednesday, May 10th at 4 p.m. Eastern for. Four Keys to Ineffective Educational Change or How to Botch Transformation Without Really Trying. Learn the four mistakes that people make in modern change initiatives, how to overcome them, and learn how you can join Big Beacon's three communities of innovators today. Go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. And and we're back uh, with uh, Kate Ebner, um, Director of Georgetown's Institute for Transformational leadership and we've been we've been talking about a lot of great stuff and and Kate uh, the institute has the word transformational in it everyone's everything's transformative today um, but how do we distinguish between say things that are really transformative and and kind of ordinary change you know I'm so glad you asked that question actually Dave because I do think we're using the word transformative. Um, quite liberally these days. And, you know, I I have often found it to be um, like I take a deep breath and then I say Institute for Transformational Leadership. (laughs) Big claim. (laughs) To be able to claim that we're teaching people how to be transformative. Um, But the simple definition that we use at Georgetown and that that I, I use is um, a transformational change is one from which there's no going back. You know, so how do you know you've led a transformation when you've mm. arrived in a new place and you could never go back to where you once were? You just couldn't ever go back to being as you were. And I, I think, you know, uh, again, just to play with the metaphor, the, 
the frog doesn't ever become a tadpole again. You know, the butterfly does not become a caterpillar again, right? The um, yeah. organizations will go through changes that transform them, and they can never be as they once were, you know. And they'll also go through lots of periods where there's change and even systems change, but it doesn't ultimately transform the institution. It doesn't actually um, shift the way that people see things, the way that people do things, um, the experience that they have um, of being there or leading or or teaching in, in that place, you know. So change from which there's no return. I, I really like that um, sort of uh, irreversibility um, definition. I, I hadn't hadn't heard that. When you when you scratch at that a little bit and kind of look under the hood, I think some of what we were we were talking before about the importance of story, and that there that part of the not going back is that the that the cultural story has shifted in a way that. Mm-hmm is irreversible but what does that mean and i think if you did you scratch at that a little bit you come up with there's a substantial flipping of primary or um some of the polarities are have mm-hmm. have flopped mm-hmm. um um to you know so if we're talking you know so if in part of what people call out in education these days as well there's we want to become student-centered and and they go in and they do death by power. They impose death by PowerPoint on their kids, and so that's not. And I'm not sure in what sense they mean that that's actually student centered. But once you once you move to student centered and kind of unleash students, there is no going back. The the students will not mm-hmm. accept the passivity of obedience based education. So there's some. So I think that you know. The, but I love that. I, I really like the the simplicity and elegance of that irreversibility definition. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, I I think, you know, one of the things that um, supports that definition is that, you know, change changes us. Mm-hmm. Right? So we aren't the same person at the end of a change that we were at the beginning. And, and, and so we tend to think about transformative change or change as sort of an outcome, like when we get this done, you know, in five years we'll be here and everything will be different. But what we forget to think about is the fact that the process of learning how to get there will change us, too. Yeah. And we won't be the same as we were. And I I think that's one of the most wonderful and rewarding things about working with change and leading change, and particularly transformational change, is that you, you, you become, you grow, and you are yourself transformed while working on an organizational transformation and you know, transform doesn't mean easy or like magic or something like that. I mean, we right. we, we learn the hard way <laughs> a lot of the time. But the things we learn about ourselves, about our community, about our institutions, um, become just so valuable to our understanding and our ability to make new things happen. Yeah. So and and uh, it's not necessarily easy, but it's not necessarily. When it happens, it's it's almost like it, when the change is transformative and right. It's almost like it was the right thing to do, and and after you've done it, you go, well, why didn't 
why have I been stuck in this other story or this other place for so long? It's almost, it's almost, it's, it's, it's easy to be hard on yourself when you, when you kind of see it, but, and then, and the, the actual change itself, when you see it and you accept it, when you notice, and, and then you reframe the story or whatever it is that then enables this new place to be, it, it's, um, it actually can happen quite quickly, but the pro- it may take you a while to get there, but it, the, the, the change can actually happen um, doesn't necessarily mean that, it, at least at an individual level, organizationally, we then yeah. have to think, talk differently about it. Comment? Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's a really good point. I, I think the. I think about about um, you know we use vision, especially mm. the Google company. But the first yep. place I really worked on vision was at Middlebury College, and the vision that the board had of the, the residential college and uh, the. The way that the residential college included what they called life of the mind. In other words, they wanted a different role for faculty, much more involved in student life, and they wanted to reconfigure the residence halls to be more like Oxford or Harvard and into into schools, into commons. And yep. and at the time, we were we didn't have that at all. And I myself was an alumna. I hated yep. the idea, along with everybody else. I was <laughs> absolutely against the whole thing. And then I was asked by the by the president of the college to to be uh, uh, one of two people leading the change initiative, and I it really called my called me out on it. And so I had to really look at that vision that they were describing, which would indeed transform the school as I had known it and loved it. And it took some real talking to you know with myself about what am I holding on to and why? What yeah. do I need to let go of here? And is this vision worth doing? I ended up concluding that. It it was, and so I, I did sign on to lead that transformative change. But in the first phase of the change, I came face-to-face as a leader with people who felt the way I had felt. They hated it, you know, and yeah. I, I learned the value when you're leading change of just standing there with a big basket and letting people throw their rotten fruit and vegetables in it while you hold it, you know. <laughs> huge need to receive people's reaction to the idea of letting go of something that's familiar. And that's part of the process, you know. And I've come to appreciate that part of the process. A lot of uh, fruitful new thinking came out of that listening campaign that we went on in the first year of just really we were, you know, we were socializing the vision and we were receiving everybody's positive and negative reactions. And then we kind of took those ideas and put them into the vision, it let the vision evolve, let the vision adapt, brought it back to the board, and the board said, actually, I can see the influence of this community on this vision. We like it better now that it reflects them. And slowly but surely, we advanced with that vision and turned it into a, a reality. But it was a, I guess what I'm trying to speak to is the fact that it's one thing to say you want to make a change. It's another thing to go out there and do it. And you have to understand that it's, it's in the standing in front of people and receiving their their criticism or their anxiety or their feedback. That's part of what changes you as you lead change, and that's that's good and healthy, even though it doesn't always feel good. Yeah, and sort of being uh, continuing along the sort of practical line. What what other you've you've led change, you've led visioning processes, you've worked with people in many sectors on on. Uh, helping improve their leadership. What what are some of the what are some of the key points, say, um, for higher ed uh, leaders in helping to bring about transformative change? 
would say, um, first of all, be bold. You know, hmm. look at what makes your institution special. Look at the founding stories and the, the values of your institution and sort of the things that make it unique. And so, you know, at, at NEBO, the process is simple. It's three steps or three stories, right? Where Past, present, future. Yep. Where have we been? Where are we now? And where are we going? And I think that's, that, that process is especially important in higher education because the hist- our history is always around us. It's so important in, in, on campuses. Um, so understanding what, what about that story do we need to protect and keep and preserve? What about the story can we let go of because it no longer makes sense in the modern moment? And then I think taking a realistic look at what's true today, you know, what the good, the bad, and the ugly we say, you know, let's not be afraid to tell ourselves what our situation really is. And let's hear from others who can give us data and, and perspective about that. And then, you know, we want to move to that future story. You know, where are we going? Um, that's where we want you to be bold and creative. But there is one question in between, which is what holds us back? What are we afraid mm. of? And I think if we can talk candidly about that as a part of our process, what happens there is that people admit that they're worried that if we're too if we're too bold, it might be grandiose. We might be laughed at. It might be foolish. You know, we all have fears, yes. and they get yeah. in the way of our boldness, right? Yeah. So we want you to be able to to expect and invite people to share what their concerns are and what their fears are. But don't let that stop you from being bold and um, inspiring in the future that you're describing for your community. Um, and I think that I, I think about the higher ed leaders. I think we need you to not. You don't have to solve every problem, but decide which ones are the ones worth solving for your community and your campus and would make the most difference for your institution. Just got about a minute left, but but one last uh, piece of um, advice or takeaway or learning that would you like to share with our audience? I, my mind goes in a lot of different directions, Dave, with that question, but I guess the one piece of advice I would give to any leader who's listening is is actually listening, you know. Um, the the yeah. single best way to learn about yourself and others is to listen. And I think I think one of the things I've learned about leadership through the coaching process is that we're so busy doing, sometimes we forget to slow down and really listen and when we listen, we understand better, and we make better decisions, and we're more connected with the people who can, who are the stakeholders of our decisions. So yeah, my advice is to listen and let that listening um, guide you forward. People find out want to find out more about ITL or, or Nebo. How do they do that? Well, you could check us out at um, Nebo Company, the word company spelled out, dot com, or you could go to ITL, I would just Google Georgetown University ITL or Georgetown University Institute for Transformational Leadership, and you'll see our website, um, and you'll be able to look at our programs. We'd absolutely love to have you there. Kate, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great. Thank you. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest, Kate Ebner. And... uh, the Nebo Company, and the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. 
Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.